Hi J Knights and welcome to episode 12 of the What the Austin podcast. We have a really fun episode lined up today and uh, my part-time co-host Kaylee from Half Agony Half Hope is back on the pod. So welcome back Kaylee. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited for this episode. Yeah, so um, today's episode, we're actually going to be playing the role of the sorting cat and placing our beloved Austin heroines into their Hogwarts houses. Uh, So yes, this will be a Harry Potter times Jane Austen episode. I really love doing episodes like this. Um, I did do the Disney Princess one with Anne um, last year, and it really means a lot to me to be able to bring together different fictional loves. So I love Disney princesses. I love Harry Potter. And it's great that I can kind of combine them and bring them into the podcast, which is basically, obviously my podcast is about Jane Austen, but it's, it's just great to bring in other elements of my personality as well. And um, I know so many of the people who are listening and my guests also have loves for other fictional characters and Kaylee's a big Harry Potter fan. So that's why she's here with me today. Yes. Jane Austen and Harry Potter, two of my greatest loves. So this episode is a dream come true to be able to talk about both of them at the same time. (laughs) I love that. It's amazing. So something really exciting about this particular episode is um, when this is released, it's actually a not to the date, but to the month. It's a year since I started the podcast. So. yeah, the first ever episode came out in April 2021. And that was actually with Elle, Kaylee. It was um, the persuasion one. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is just so nostalgic and amazing. I remember when you were talking to me, brainstorming this idea of doing a Jane Austen podcast. And I loved that so much because I'd been searching for Jane Austen podcasts previously and I couldn't find very many. And I I was so excited that you were doing it. And then I remember this episode came out with Elle on persuasion and it was so good. And then you invited me to do the following episode. And our first episode together was the Colonel Brandon episode. And I remember that was the first time that we had seen each other face to face. (laughs) we still you know because we had always connected over Instagram but we finally got to meet virtually and then someday we'll get to meet in person too no absolutely it's like it's just so nice to see it come like full circle and it's just lovely to see how much it's grown as well like how much support there's been for the podcast and everything like I really appreciate it because um I really do put like a lot into it. Like a lot of like heart and soul goes into this. I love making like this content, but also, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see how it, how it goes on and Kaylee's going to keep coming back because I keep bringing it back. And so is Elle. (laughs) I love it. And it's been amazing to see all of the comments and messages that you've gotten from people all over the world. You know, I, I just, I love seeing the comments from Austin fans from all over and just seeing everyone's insight and reactions to the podcast. And how many listens did you say you got to? Was it, I I saw on your story that you were like, yeah, I were over um, three and a half thousand now. So yeah, like, which is amazing because I genuinely thought my mom would be the only person that listens in. And actually (laughs) some of you guys are more loyal to the pod than my mother is. So um, (laughs) It's um, it's like good to see, you know, that there's people listening. I mean, I'd probably do it even if there wasn't, but <laughs> it's just nice to know that other people want to like listen to like Austin content and um, yeah, I love it. it. It has been 
honestly one of the highlights of, of my year to, to be a part of it. And I've loved seeing all of your creative ideas and just seeing how the podcast has continued to evolve and all of the different people you've brought in and their expertise. And yeah, it's been amazing. I know it's so much fun. So, I mean, what a great episode to kind of like a great anniversary episode to do a Harry Potter Jane Austen one. This episode is going to be slightly different in the sense that I learned from the Disney princess one. We have so much content to cover that I'm actually going to split it into two. So this will be part one and we're going to cover Pride and Prejudice today and Sense and Sensibility. And then part two of this like episode series, which will come out in May, we'll cover um, the final novels and heroines. So we'll do Emma, we'll do Persuasion, we'll do Northanger Abbey and Mansfield Park. So the reason this has only got two novels on this side is because we're really going to get into detail about the houses, um, just so we can really set the stage, but also um, Pride and Prejudice Sense Sensibility. We always have so much to say about that. I mean, Pride and Prejudice, for obvious reasons, is, you know, we know that one so well, but um, Sense Sensibility is your favorite, isn't it, Kaylee? So we always have a lot to say that too. It is. Sense and Sensibility has always been my favorite. I love I love that book so much. Um, and we also talked about the fact that in addition to having a primary house for each character, we thought having a secondary house would also be good to talk about because it l- adds a level of nuance and dynamicism to, to the characters. Um, but to start with, I'd love to hear, Kaylee, what is your favorite Harry Potter book and your favorite Harry Potter film? Um, that would be really great to know. So favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, Sirius Black and Remus Lupin are two of my favorite characters. And I just love when the Marauders map is introduced. And I love hearing about Harry's dad's friends at school. I've always been fascinated by them. And I always wished that J.K. Rowling would write one prequel where we'd hear more about James, Sirius, Lupin, Pettigrew, Snape, Lily, their experience at school. I've always been really fascinated about that. And I was thinking about the movies. To be honest, I've read the books more than I've watched the films, but I think I also like the Prisoner of Azkaban film the best as well. I think it's really well done. Love the scene where Hermione punches Draco in the face. I think that's the movie I've seen the most, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pure Gryffindor moves right there. yeah, no, absolutely. My it's actually my brother. Um, he really likes that one as well because he likes how kind of dark the aesthetic is in that film. Um, I think it is actually the director's different for that one, and I think or the producer or something, and that's why it really shows. Like it is very different than the first um, two. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, so my favorite book is actually Order of the Phoenix. That's my favorite book, even though it's like massive. I was like so shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, so long. But um, that is actually my favorite book. And my favorite film is um, Goblet of Fire. Okay. Such a comfort watch. Yeah, honestly, I love the Harry Potter films as well. It's such a comfort watch for me. If you, if you ask my boyfriend, I watch them so much, just on repeat. It doesn't matter to me. I'm a bit like that with Twilight as well. But um, yeah, I love a, a fantasy film rewatch. It's um, that's my go-to. Well, for the Order of the Phoenix, one of my favorite scenes in the entire Harry Potter series is when Fred and George take down the school, fighting back against Umbridge during <laughs> finals. That is just unbelievable. So yeah, there are a lot of really amazing parts of the fifth book. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. Do you have a favorite character? Oh, wow. Lupin. I have always loved Lupin. I I just love how humble and calm and rational he is. I think he has such a good heart. And I think he's such a good mentor to Harry. I, I love the scenes in The Prisoner of Azkaban where he helps Harry develop his Patronus. Yeah, I think Lupin. How about you? Yeah, I do really like Lupin. I think um I think because his own story is like quite tragic and sad and he's got a lot to deal with himself. I just love how supportive he can still be of Harry. Um, and I think he is the more composed out of him and um, Sirius. So I think they make a good team. Um, they both kind of offer Harry what he needs, the more level-headed, calm parent, and then the more outgoing, exciting <laughs> parent. <laughs> That's such a good way of looking at it. Yeah, they're both father figures to Harry in, in different ways. But you're right. I think Lupin's story is so tragic, yet he has this positivity, optimism about him and this level of resilience. So. Yeah, yeah, agreed. My favorite character actually is Luna. Um, I actually <laughs> have her wand. It's on my bookshelf behind. Um, I just love Luna so much. I think she's just, she's so unique, like independent in she just, she's different, but she totally embraces that. And she doesn't care what other people think. And I just really love that about her. Like she's so quirky and yeah. And I think loads of people think she's dead weird, but I love her. I think she's great. <laughs> She's so endearing and you're right. She has this sense of self uh, where she's not afraid to be, be an individual and be independent. And I think that's such a good message for teenagers and young people growing up. And she's also people under, underestimate her because they think she's loony. You know, they call her loony, but she's so wise when it comes to the big things. She gives the best advice. Absolutely. And I think actually she's a, a really important friend to Harry as well. And I think because she's different and Harry's different in his own way, I think they find like a common ground that maybe they don't actually, both of them don't really fit in. They they both can't be understood by everybody. And I think that's why they understand each other. Absolutely. I think they both, Luna is another one who's very optimistic and positive, but both Harry and Luna have undergone intense tragedy that other people don't understand. Like the fact that she's the one who tells him that he's not crazy for seeing the Thestrals. They both have had parents who have died and they have a special bond over that, that, you know, Ron and Hermione just can't understand. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay. So, um, like I said, we're going to intro all of the four houses. Um, what I'm going to do is start with Gryffindor. So um, the Sorting Hat's words about Gryffindor go as such. Uh, you might belong to Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry sets Gryffindors apart. So um, Gryffindor's kind of like their main house in the Harry Potter series, I'd say, because um, all three protagonists are in Gryffindor. And obviously the fact that Harry's in Gryffindor makes a pretty significant impact it's the house that we see the most of uh, we see their common room the most um yeah you have some other thoughts on Gryffindor would you like to share sure I, I was thinking it, it's important to talk about the strengths of Gryffindor but then also the weaknesses so that we can really understand the full character um so Gryffindor's I wrote down the external trait is bravery 
The core value is justice. The flaw is an impulsivity. And then the element is fire. So just some common traits of Gryffindor. The biggest one is bravery. Uh, Gryffindors have a high sense of honor, justice. They're ready to jump in and help the underdog. And they have a lot of nerve and daring. They're the protectors. They're the defenders of honor. And they have a, a, a huge ability to focus on the difference between right and wrong and defend what's right in their eyes. They often challenge authority. They're very, they have a great sense of heart. Um, And then I would say the weaknesses of Gryffindor, they can often be impulsive. Uh, They think before, or they act before thinking. They can be reckless, a little bit hot-headed and short-tempered. Anything you'd want to add to Gryffindor? You literally covered all of um, the points that I had on and their kind of their animal symbol is a lion, which I think really represents them again, that bravery, but also um, a bit of that kind of hot headedness, that recklessness um, that comes into it as well. So um, but also the protectors, like I feel like they really stand in that in that um, position where it's like they're they're willing to stand up for for people and to stand up for what's right. That's right. And adding on to that, I read one article about Gryffindors and someone explained them as being the social justice warriors. A lot of people don't understand why Hermione's in Gryffindor over Ravenclaw, but she's the defender of the house elves. And so she's advocating, Gryffindors advocate for the underdog and protect the underdog. So I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. Oh yeah, no, I love that. That's such a good point. Um, Okay, fabulous. So the next house that we're going to intro is Ravenclaw. So um, the sorting hat's words on Ravenclaw go, yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've already mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Um, so that's what the sorting hat says about um, Ravenclaw. So I'll pass over to Kaylee again. Okay, so for Ravenclaw, the external trait is intelligence. The core value is knowledge. The flaw is a callousness, uh, a, sort of a, an aloofness or disconnect from the outside world. Um, and then, so lots of strengths for Ravenclaw, obviously very intelligent, but also they have this quest for knowledge. There's a deep-seated curiosity. There's a desire for exploration, inquiry, learning. There's this creative out-of-the-box thinking And there's a sense of independence and strong sense of self with Ravenclaw. In Ravenclaw, you're allowed to be an individual. You don't have to follow the crowd. Um, So many great things. A lot of inventors and innovators are Ravenclaw. They analyze everything. Weaknesses are, just like I said, sometimes they can be a little bit aloof because they have a tunnel vision with whatever their passion is. Um, They can live a little bit in their own heads and sometimes be daydreamers. And sometimes there can be a little bit of a judgmental aspect about their own intelligence. Does everyone have the same level of intelligence that I do? So yeah, anything you'd add to that? Um, I think um, something that I did pick up on um, when I was kind of researching a bit more about Ravenclaws I thought was really interesting is um, there were a few Ravenclaws that aren't necessarily 
the most intelligent and people are always surprised they're in the house. So um, a couple of examples would be um, Gildry Lockhart, um, who comes across as a bit of a buffoon, and also um, Cho Chang, even though she is, um, she's kind of an average student. She doesn't stand out like um, that much like Luna and Hermione as being really intelligent. Um, But what they did, what this kind of article said about it is, um, Ravenclaws have this ability um, to be quite popular and also seek out fame and it come quite easy to them. And I think, again, it is that um, they have this independence and this individuality that makes them stand out a little bit and makes them intriguing and entices other people into their world. So I thought that was a really interesting one about Ravenclaws that um, they can often be these um, kind of popular um exciting characters that people want to know more about and people are really drawn in by I love that you brought up Gilderoy Lockhart as an unconventional Ravenclaw I think that's so so interesting I'm glad you brought that up and then one more thing that I'd say about Ravenclaws which also um Gildry really draws into and also Ollivander who's another Ravenclaw um is their ability for um, memory. So Gildry is known for being really good at um, the memory charm. Um, and that comes up a lot in Chamber of Secrets. Um, but also Ollivander um, has, um, he remembers every every one that he's ever sold to which wizard. Um, so um, yeah, that ability to, to remember things is a really strong Ravenclaw trait, I'd say as well. So I just wanted to add that one in. Oh my gosh, the memory charm, the fact that he was so good at those, that makes so much sense why he would be a Ravenclaw. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, like some of the um, kind of more in-depth in, in depth insights of, of Ravenclaw that um, this kind of research has kind of pulled out a bit more, which is, which is really interesting because I think with a lot of houses, there can definitely be that surface level, what you know about them. Um, but I think once you start kind of analyzing some of the characters who fall into the houses, you can see a lot more like small traits that you're like, oh, that's really interesting one. That's so true. I think there are these base characteristics that we need to know, but you really have to look at the characters in the book to see the nuances of why they're placed in each house. Yeah, absolutely. So the next house to introduce is Hufflepuff. So um, the Sorting Hat says, uh, you might belong to Hufflepuff, where they're just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. So, um, yeah, I'll pass back over to Kaylee. Okay, so the external trait for Hufflepuff is they're hardworking. The core of that value is fairness. The flaw is an indecisiveness, and then the element is earth. So Hufflepuffs are known for being very loyal, patient, accepting of others. Um, At one point, I think it's in the Order of the Phoenix during the Sorting Hat ceremony, Helga Hufflepuff says, I'll take the rest. And sometimes people view that as a negative thing, but it actually shows the trait of a Hufflepuff being accepting of all people, I think. Um, I read something really interesting about Hufflepuffs. They would be the ones who would advocate for a meritocracy. You work for what you get. Hufflepuffs are guided by reason and live in an objective reality. They have a strong moral compass and they have high levels of emotional regulation. So, for example, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, they both um, have a strong sense of morality, but Hufflepuffs are less inclined to bursts of temper. They're more um, calm, patient, emotionally regulated. And another thing I read that I thought was interesting is because they value fairness, they can't let passion overtake them. 
And so they, they really, another thing that I read that I thought was interesting is that they could be best suited for positions of power or authority because of they have, they have this adherence to fairness and equality, but they often don't take those leadership roles because of an indecisiveness. So that's where kind of the weakness comes in. Hufflepuffs sometimes can be a little bit naive, easily influenced. They sometimes Hufflepuffs are described as pushovers and yeah, just have difficulty making decisions because they're so accepting and because they are so good at weighing different opinions. That's such a good summary. Yeah, I can definitely see for a lot of Hufflepuffs that it's like very, um, in comparison to Ravenclaw, it's very difficult for them to um, know their own mind. I think you see that a lot with um, characters like Cedric, the fact that he kind of goes along with the fact that people are teasing Harry, even though he sees Harry as a friend still and doesn't actually feel that way himself, he still goes along with it. And um, I think you also see it a lot in Fantastic Beasts with with Newt. The, he kind of gets drawn into things that he wouldn't necessarily have done himself. But he's really yeah. like he just kind of goes with the flow because other people kind of have that more stronger personalities. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely a Hufflepuff trait for a lot of the characters that they're that they kind of go with the flow and they're kind of overpowered by some of the more extroverted houses. I completely agree. I think that those were um, both really good examples of Cedric and Newt. Absolutely. So we have one more house left and that house is Slivering. So um, the Sorting Cat says about Slivering, um, or perhaps in Slivering, you'll make real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. So Kaylee? The external trait of a Slytherin is ambition. The core value is success. The flaw is maliciousness and the element is water. So first of all, I think that Slytherins get a really, have a really bad reputation generally. And I don't think it's really fair. I am thinking of two of my best friends who have Slytherin traits. And so I just, I hope that people aren't necessarily viewing Slytherin as bad because there's so many good things about Slytherin. So just wanted to put that out there Um, because I feel like Gryffindor tends to be the favorite house and Slytherin tends to just, yeah, people are hard on Slytherin. So some of the positive qualities of Slytherins, they're very, the the sense of cunning. Um, Rather than expanding their knowledge, they find ways to use their existing skills to their advantage. So if you're in a tough situation, a Slytherin's level of resourcefulness and cunning can be such a help. They can make the best of any situation and they turn bad situations to their advantage. They have a huge amount of determination. They have a goal and they will do anything to achieve it. Some of the weaknesses are Slytherins can have Machiavellian tendencies of the end justifies the means. So they're so focused on their goals that sometimes they can do morally ambiguous things to achieve them. They can have, they often can be out for themselves. So they can be a little bit power hungry. And then they're, because they're focused on success, that can be conflated with viewing status as success. So sometimes there can be some discrimination. So when you think about how many Slytherins are focused on the ideal wizard as a pure blood wizard, 
Slytherins can sometimes be overly focused on status and view themselves as better than others. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. I love that. I think um, another good strength of Slytherins is um, that they can fall quite naturally into leadership roles. And um, I think that's part of their ambition, but also um, they're so resourceful. And um, yeah, I just think that they're able to kind of, um, I I don't want to use the word control because I think that's too... That, that's not the right term, but I think they're able to kind of captivate a wider audience. I mean, a really good example of this, although not morally right, is Voldemort. Like he's able to um, get this massive following of people that he can kind of um, bring on board with his ideas. Like if you think about it, all of those characters, they're not all necessarily, um, you know, skewed on the moral compass. But the, what he sells is that vision. And I think that's a really strong trait of Slytherins. They're able to sell a vision and they're able to gain followers um, who agree with what they're saying. I completely agree with you. I think certain Slytherins are, are great with leadership because they have, I can't remember if I said this before, but being shrewd is a huge strength of a Slytherin. They're, they're highly intelligent, but it's in a way that's different from a Ravenclaw. Sometimes Ravenclaws, you know, Ravenclaws are highly intelligent, but sometimes they can be a little bit uh, separated from reality. They're a little bit more in their head where uh, Slytherins can really have this down to earth, shrewd intelligence that can help them in leadership roles and can help them build respect and build a following. Absolutely. It's like an intelligence that can actually be implemented as opposed to an intelligence that's kind of um, will forever be in your head, if that makes sense. It's not something that can be brought into like reality, whereas Slytherin's intelligence definitely is a little bit more practical, I'd say. Yes, that's exactly, that was a great summary of what I was trying to say. (laughs) That's great. So that is um, all of the houses kind of wrapped up there, which is great. I think that's a really good place to start is we just kind of set the stage um, for the characteristics, um, especially if you just needed a bit of a recap. This is my dream come true. I just want to say. So we're going to start with Elizabeth Bennett um, for this one. Um, a couple sure. of things that I'd say for Elizabeth are um, intelligence. Um, she's very lively, um, wit. She's playful. Um, she definitely has her own mind and she can often be quite stubborn. I think she even admits to this herself. There is one quote there. She says, there is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened of the will of others. My courage always rises at every attempt to intimidate me. And I think, I, I mean, I love how um, self-aware Elizabeth is that she she knows that this is like one of her flaws. Like she is really stubborn um, and it's very difficult for her to let go of her preconceptions about things um, unless she's really like hit her on the face with it like Darcy's letter. Um, I think I think she holds on to it and she fights for it. She's like, no, this is this is correct. Um, I think that's why it's so embarrassing for her when she's kind of when she's proven wrong. Um, so, yeah. Um, do you want to add anything on Elizabeth? I think you did a great job describing her. I actually picked that quote out, too. I think it's so important in defining who she is. I would add, I love what her father says about her at the beginning of the novel. He says, Lizzie has a little more wit than the rest, but then again, he may prefer a stupid wife. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
So I think um, she has this ability to size things up and size people up. You know, she knows right away that Bingley's sisters are snobby and not very nice. She can anticipate things and she's very intelligent and witty. I agree with you. I also think one of her biggest strengths is her courage. You think about her, her financial standing and her social status and the fact that she's able to stand up to refuse Mr. Collins, even though there's all this pressure to marry him because the estate is entailed away to him. The fact that she has the courage to refuse Darcy when he is the, you know, he is so coveted because of his social and financial status. And I think about her courage when she stands up to Lady Catherine de Berg. I really agree with what you say about how she just has such a strong sense of self and an independence. And I think she's, she's very, she's very stubborn too. I think she, when you think about she's determined, she has kind of black or white thinking, which is another Gryffindor trait. She sees Wickham, Wickham has to be good in her eyes and Darcy has to be bad because he wounded her pride. She's very prideful. Um, And then I would, one other thing I would add is she has a really high sense of honor. So the fact that she thought that Darcy dishonored Wickham, that, that made him a villain in her eyes. But then when she read his letter and she saw that Darcy's honor was redeemed, that was so important to her. And I just think her sense of honor too, you really see that when Lydia runs away with Wickham. Lydia is not affected by that at all, but, she, but Lizzie is, she, she's always thinking about what is the honorable thing to do in a situation. So yeah, I definitely, definitely have two houses. I really think she's quite a hybrid, but at that, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious which two houses you think she's in. I, yeah, I've got a feeling we're going to pick the, the same houses. So um, for Elizabeth, I've picked Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. Ravenclaw. Yeah, I thought you may have. I could just tell from how you were describing her. I thought you may have picked the same ones. My Ravenclaw um, traits for Elizabeth is definitely her wit. Um, She's very um, intelligent. And um, obviously she she loves reading, which is quite a strong um, Ravenclaw trait. And yeah, so I think she definitely has those Ravenclaw qualities, but I think um, you're right that she definitely, I think the deeper side of Elizabeth really shows her Gryffindor traits. It is that bravery, that honor, that courage, like you were saying, the fact that she's able to reject Collins and Darcy. Um, I think also her her playful side uh, maybe falls into both houses, but I think the fact that she's really able to have her own mind in stick to her guns with what she believes in is very much a Ravenclaw trait. Um, so I really like that about it. And also what I, what I think is um, she, she's very similar to her father in a lot of ways. I think her father's a very through and through Ravenclaw. Yes. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that that's where her Ravenclaw side comes from. Um, and I, I mean, I dare to say it, but maybe her Gryffindor side comes from Mrs. Bennett. I know Mrs. Bennett kind of loses her marbles a bit, but I can really see that that's where it comes from. Interesting. Oh boy. I, 
Uh, okay, I see it. I I think Mrs. Bennett is such a Slytherin, but I do see, I do see the boldness and the daring that you would see in Mrs. Bennett, and the recklessness. <laughs> oh, recklessness! There we go. Yeah. Yes. Um. I agree. I completely agree with you. I was going to bring up the fact that you know Lizzie has such a close relationship with her father. She has a very Ravenclaw relationship with her father. And I agree that he's a through and through Ravenclaw just sitting in his own world in his library, but very intelligent. Um, yeah, I mean, you summed it up really well. I, I, I think what I would add is Lizzie also just has a really strong sense of justice. The fact that Wickham has faced injustice in her eyes makes Darcy a villain. And then she, when she finds out that Wickham has actually been unjust in his portrayal of Darcy. That really has a profound effect on her. And I would say another Gryffindor uh, quality to Lizzie is she she fiercely defends the people she loves. Think about how much she protects Jane and how upset she is with Darcy for slating her sister and making her sister unhappy by taking Bingley away from her. So I, I think Lizzie, it just has a strong sense of, of justice, loyalty. I think, yeah, I think at the end, I lean more toward one house over the other. How about you? I, I totally agree with everything you just said. It, it's, it's so much stronger than like a Hufflepuff um, sense of right and wrong and justice. But it's like, actually, we need to do something about this. I think there's actually a moment where she doesn't understand why Wickham's not called Darcy out for it I think she even says that she's like oh you're you're much calmer about this than I would be I would have like she would have like totally freaked out about it and I think that really shows like it's not enough for her to know right and wrong she has to she has to have justice in the world it has to be like universally shown as opposed to it can't be a private justice Yes, she has to act on it. And if you think about it, she is, even though she's playful and lively and sweet, she's a hothead. Think about the way that she jumps in and rejects Mr. Darcy. She, yeah, she she's a person of action and she will speak her truth. So at the end of the day, I put her as Gryffindor and her secondary house Ravenclaw. And with the acknowledgement that I really think she does have a lot of Ravenclaw, I think it's leaning close to half and half, but more Gryffindor. You know, that's so funny. When I when I did like the research myself and I was sitting down thinking about it, I actually put Ravenclaw first. But now we've talked it through. I agree that I think Gryffindor's her her primary house and Ravenclaw's her secondary one. It's a tough decision though. I really, I can see the argument for either side, but yeah, I think. I think think when it comes to core characteristics, I think she's a Gryffindor. Yeah, me too. I think that courage piece is just so ingrained in her. Absolutely. Ooh, I love it. I'm excited to see everybody else. I love it when my my ideas and thoughts can change like mid-recording. I love that. I'm just like, actually, let's it's gone out the window. I've got new ideas now. I am so excited too because I I spent more time than I'd like to admit thinking about this. And it's a lot harder than you think it'll be. I, I'm sure you're gonna change my mind on, on other characters. I kept going back and forth. Yes, I know. I feel like 
very much like the houses when you just look at it at surface level you think oh yeah be easy I can like place people but you're right when you start actually thinking about it and actually pairing like characteristics up it's so much harder um to place people I am actually glad I'm not the sorting hat because it would be a pain in the bum like it's so difficult to do this on individuals all the time um (laughs) (laughs) it's so true you'd agonize over it (laughs) absolutely Um, before, before we move on to the next heroine, can I, can I just quickly say, I don't know if you agree. I just think Jane Bennett, it, most people have a primary house and a secondary house, but don't you just think Jane is a tried and true Hufflepuff? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Just like wanting happiness for her whole family, caring for others a little bit naive sometimes, um, but just so trustworthy, loving, anti-conflict, patient, hardworking. I just think if we think Hufflepuff, Jane. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I, she is through and through a Hufflepuff. So (laughs) I love that. It's amazing. Okay. So the next heroine on the list is Marianne Dashwood. Um, A couple of things that I've wrote down about Marianne, like her characteristics, she is a romantic idealist, I'd say. She is very opinionated, um, spontaneous, a bit reckless, maybe more than a bit. Um, she is slightly naive um, and she is, I think, very strong-willed and in the same ways as Elizabeth, I think um, she's a, she is a bit of a protector, especially of her family, of Eleanor, of what's right and wrong, um, she's got such a such strong views on that. Um, I think even it goes a little bit too too far at times. I think her ideas about um, marriage, second marriage, um, marrying people who are older. I think you definitely see her ideas of right or wrong are slightly skewed, um, which I'll come on to a bit more because I think that links into her houses a bit. Um, your thoughts? I think that was a beautiful description of her. I I agree with you. She 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 also has this strong sense of justice in ways that are not necessarily socially wise. Um, for example, I think about when Mrs. John Dashwood came to their house right after their father died. Marianne just sees how inappropriate that is and insensitive the way Mrs. John Dashwood is acting. And, and remember, she has that scene where she's like is the silver to your liking and (laughs) she's just she really has this strong sense of what is morally right and what is morally wrong she defends the honor of her family too like she I remember when Mrs. Ferrers is looking at Eleanor's art she keeps slighting Eleanor and saying well it's it's nothing to Miss Morton's and Marianne starts crying and says, who is Miss Morton to us? We're talking about Eleanor. She's such a, <laughs> she does anything she can to defend her, the honor of the people that she loves, even though she realizes that she doesn't realize that it actually <laughs> makes Eleanor more embarrassed. Marianne has, has such a, a fierce loyalty to the people that she loves. So I agree with you. She strong sense of justice strong sense of what she thinks is right and wrong. Um, She has a lot of black and white thinking. She was Mm -hmm. determined to see Willoughby as good and and Colonel Brandon as old and unsuited for her. 
she has a, 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 a lot of impulsivity. She, she goes out on that walk <laughs> the day that she sprains her ankle, she's out in the elements and she insists on continuing to walk. So she has this impetuous quality to her. She kind of low self-regulation. Um, she also exactly like you said, you, did you call her the romantic idealist? Is that what you said? Yeah. That's such a great way of summing it up. She's very creative and she has these intellectual ideas. She has particular poets and authors that she loves. She loves her music. She, she lives in her head a little bit in that way. So that's how I would overall summarize her. Okay. Interesting. I think we're going to differ on our houses here. Okay. I love it. So, um, the two houses I've gone for are, um, Gryffindor and Slytherin. So, yeah, I thought we might differ there. Um, so for Gryffindor, um, it's very much about that sense of honor that we were discussing about her family. Um, I think she's got a lot of courage, um, and bravery. Um, she's able to pick herself back up after the Willoughby thing. It does take a little bit of time, but she is able to bring herself back around. I think she, between her and Eleanor, I think she's really got that that main protagonist feel about her. And I think that also speaks to more of a Gryffindor trait of being that protagonist, not the supporting role, but the main role. And um, I think also some of the negative sides of a Gryffindor, such as being a bit stubborn, um, hot-headed. She definitely has that. She's totally reckless. Um, But I do think she has a lot of Slytherin traits. Um, Yeah, I do. I do. There's... um, I think her, I do want to call it snobbery because it's not, I don't think that she, I think she feels herself to be superior in um, like the way that she lives her life and her morals. Um, I think she think like, I think that's why she looks down a little bit on Colonel Brandon to start with. So I think it's maybe a bit of ageism, et cetera, but I think she has a, a superiority about youth her and Willoughby together I think I think he brings out more of her slivering traits to be honest with you but I think there's an arrogance about them and I think that's quite a um kind of the, the more negative side to a slivering which I think is drawn out quite a lot um I think that she quite ambitious in the sense that when she's kind of locked onto Willoughby she falls for him she is going to go for him no matter what like that's totally her drive and I feel like she gets so locked on it that she's willing that she ends up doing things like embarrassing Eleanor or embarrassing the family um because she's become so narrow-minded about it like she wants Willoughby and that's her main objective and goal and I think that's very much a slivering trait that they can get locked onto something and really fight for it even if it means kind of maybe upsetting a couple of people along the way I I see why you say that. I think Marianne is extremely self-involved. You know, luckily she's one of the characters, I think, of all the heroines that has the most character growth throughout the novel, but she is very self-focused. And I, I think that that can be a Slytherin trait sometimes. So I, I, I think you have a good argument there. And what you said about she's focused on her goal. Her, her goal, her is to be with Willoughby and her ambition for love. She, she has this idea of this perfect love that she wants and she'll do anything to get it. So I think I, I, I see why you are are thinking that I I didn't think that myself, but I, I think you have a good argument. I think I thought 
So I, I think she's a combination of Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. And I find that so interesting that I think it's the same diff, differing levels, but I think it's the same hybrid as Lizzie because they're such different characters. But the reason I was thinking Ravenclaw is Ravenclaws sometimes have this tunnel vision on their, on whatever they're passionate about. And I think Marianne is so creative. She loves her music. She really values literature, poetry. She is an intellectual. And so I think and she's a bit of a daydreamer. She she lives in her own world. Um, and so, and I think that she values those things. That's why I would put her in Ravenclaw. Um, but I think primarily, I think she's a tried and true Gryffindor with, with the sense of justice, with, she, she's really at the beginning of the novel, an immature Gryffindor. She has a lot of the, the impulsiveness, the impetuous, impetuousness, the black and white. Uh, thinking, yeah. Very much and, a, very much a Ron. A Ron. Yes. Yes. So yeah. No, I love that. I thought you were going to say Ravenclaw. I just knew it. I was like, I knew she's <laughs> going to say Ravenclaw. Um, and I 100% get why you pick Ravenclaw. And I did play around with that originally. I was like, maybe a Ravenclaw. But I think some of my more recent rereadings of Sense and Sensibility, I started to get the feeling that Marianne's in- intellectual love and feelings is very surface level. I-, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's not it's as if every time there's something kind of intellectual, like reading poetry or the music, it has to be very public for her. It doesn't seem like it's like something that she spends her time thinking about in private that she's, you know, really interested in, in that sense. Um, you know how um, Edward Ferris um, reads a poem and she has to like critique him. She's like, oh, he didn't read it as well as I'd want him to. And obviously when she's playing the piano, it's quite often for an audience. And so I think that she uses it more to build up who she wants to be more than who she actually is. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I see it. I really see it in a way I didn't before. I think particularly what you, what you're saying about the level of superiority and, and self self-involvement and yeah, the, the ambition, the ambitious side to her. I, yeah. I see it. I think that's a really good argument too about the the qualities that are traditionally Ravenclaw. Why are they so public? Why are they so? Yeah, it's almost she, like she's putting on a show about them as opposed to really having them internally. Yeah, I think because um, if you compare it to Elizabeth, I think Elizabeth's intellectual mind is very through and through. Like, because she's such an avid reader, she doesn't read for the benefit of other people and she doesn't care what other people think about her reading. Um, She is honest that she's not that great on the piano. Uh, Whereas I feel like Marianne feels the need to be perfect at anything that's intellectual to the extent that it comes across as unauthentic. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely see it. I I think the only thing that's holding me back is I feel like Slytherin's tend to be more calculated and Marianne is so she she's not calculated at all she will say whatever is on her mind even if it's not going to be in her favor socially you know I totally agree I think that's I I mean to be honest with you uh, when all things are said and done I agree that I think she's a Gryffindor I think Slytherin if it is to be 
any like part of her it would be a, a secondary like house for her I I agree I think through and through she is a Gryffindor um so I think we can agree that <laughs> yeah no I like I, okay so we both think she's tried and true Gryffindor but then she had okay, for the secondary house you think Slytherin I do I do and I think Raven Ravenclaw but I I can be convinced I think I think you brought up some really good points that I hadn't and, thought of. And I totally thought uh, Ravenclaw was on my list for originally. Um, it was only when I just kind of started looking at it in a bit more detail. And I think bringing my own kind of readings into it, like my own bias, like now I've started to think about it in a different way. I was like, maybe I'll bring Slytherin in there. Also, I thought, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just mix things up, be a bit different, but throw Slytherin in. <laughs> well, I love it because I, I can see the ways that, that Lizzie and Marianne are similar. They, they both have a lot of, strength and courage and they're hot-headed and but they're also so different so I was like how could they both be Gryffindor and then secondary Ravenclaw so that would make sense to me that there would be they wouldn't have the same primary and secondary house interesting that's good I love this this is amazing okay (laughs) so I'm sticking with sense and sensibility the next heroine we're going to talk about is Eleanor Dashwood um so some of the characteristics I have for Eleanor are um thoughtfulness um she's quite composed sensitive and propriety logic um her sense is 100% juxtaposed against the sensibility of Marianne um obviously that's why the book was named as such um yeah Eleanor was really hard for me to place. I I don't even have two houses for I only have one. I and I'm still not 100% about that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Eleanor. I'm so glad you said that because I sat the longest with Eleanor and I feel the least clear <laughs> with my and that's funny you picked one house because I there was one that I eliminated right away, but I had difficulty. I still Feel like she has qualities of three houses is really hard for me to narrow it down for Eleanor so that's so interesting that we both struggled the most with her oh should I tell you the one that I've got that I've got down yeah. I, like I said I'm not 100 I put Hufflepuff and yes. I is that have you got Hufflepuff down as well I do. and I don't I know do. whether it was like I couldn't place her and so the only place I could place her was Hufflepuff if that makes sense. No, I, I think that does make sense. She has such a combination of unique qualities. Uh, I also put Hufflepuff. I think when it came down to it, I think because Hufflepuffs are, are known for being patient and for their forbearance. And when I think of Eleanor, I think that she's she has a ton of forbearance. She has a very strong moral compass, which is associated with both Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. But I think Gryffindors are so impetuous and Eleanor has so much self-regulation. So like when I think Gryffindor versus Hufflepuff, I think Gryffindors higher levels of bravery that they enact, but low emotional regulation, whereas Hufflepuffs are more level-headed and higher emotional regulation. And I think that's such a huge part of Eleanor that I think she has a lot of Hufflepuff. She's extremely hardworking, but that's not, I, I, I don't think it. It fully embodies her just because when I think about the weaknesses of Hufflepuff or that they can be pushovers and naive. And while Eleanor basically has to take care of her mother, Marianne, Margaret, 
she really is the caretaker in that family. So you could argue she's a pushover. She's not naive. She doesn't, she has a strong backbone and she has extremely strong convictions. She knows who she is and she's very practical wise. She's the one who takes care of the finances. She's the one who's pushing back when Willoughby tries to give Marianne the horse and she knows it's not practical. So I have her as a Hufflepuff Ravenclaw hybrid. Um, What do you think about that? So I think some of the things that you just described in there, I mean, I thought you were going to say a Hufflepuff Gryffindor, actually. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. I think, and that's, that's why I kept Gryffindor in there. That's why I was like, oh, but she's, she's three because she does have a tremendous amount of courage. The, she has such a high level of honor, which is associated with Gryffindor, right? Like she loves Edward, but she really values that he stood by Lucy because it's the honorable thing to do. And she's willing to compromise her happiness to have him keep his honor. So there are Gryffindor traits there too, but I can't put her in Gryffindor because Gryffindors are so impulsive and she's so regulated and controlled. Oh gosh, that's so true. She's just such a hard one to place. In part of me was like, do you think it's because we don't get to see enough of her character. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of what we see about Eleanor in reflection of other people. So it's like, we see the way that she behaves towards Marianne's recklessness. So it's like more of a response as opposed to her views. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like sometimes I feel like what she does is a response because of those around her. The reason she has to deal with the finances is because she knows her mom's terrible at it. Um, the reason she takes that kind of um, caring role is because their situation changes so much and she kind of steps into things that I'm like is that actually her it would that actually be her truest character because I think it's really interesting when she lets her guard down how different she is do you know when Edward comes back and she eventually just like breaks down I just think it's as if she bottles her, her truest self up so much and I think maybe it's so hard to place her because we don't get to spend enough time with her alone I I totally see what you're saying in that she makes her life about other people. Like her life is about reacting to her mother, reacting to Marianne, managing everyone, making sure everyone else is happy. But you do have, you do get that sense while you're reading it of her internal anguish. You're right. She's never prioritizing what she wants for herself. Um, And I have, I thought it would be helpful to read the description of her at the beginning of the novel. So it says, about Eleanor, she had an excellent heart. Her disposition was affectionate and her feelings were strong, but she knew how to govern them. It was a knowledge which her mother had yet to learn and which one of her sisters had resolved never to be taught. So yeah, there could be that argument. Is she a repressed Gryffindor? Because it does say her feelings are strong. And throughout the novel, there are moments where she, it's, you, you, you feel how much she's struggling So I I don't know. I think some of the adaptations don't do her justice, particularly the 1980 adaptation presents Eleanor as this very robotic person who has no feelings. But when you're reading the novel, you're like, oh, my gosh, she has really strong feelings. She just has to keep them bottled up. Um, Yeah, I actually think that's one of her her main characteristics is how 
deep and sensitive she is. I think it's easy to get sidetracked with Marianne's emotions because she's so outward about them. But I actually think Eleanor's more sensitive, um, more deep than Marianne. Um, she's just quieter about it. I think I think her main house is Hufflepuff. Me too. Me too. And I, it, it makes me feel good too to... I think that Marianne and Eleanor should be in different houses, right? Yes. Like if we were to put them both in Gryffindor, that wouldn't feel right because in some ways they're such a foil to one another. Uh, But yeah, I think it's okay. So we agree she's Hufflepuff. I think it's just up for debate what that secondary house is. And I had, I have wanted to say Ravenclaw, but there's this streak of Gryffindor that I can't get out of my mind. And yeah. What do you think? Oh, I'm I'm drawn to Gryffindor for her, to be honest with you. There's something, this makes sound really awful. There's something not very individual about her enough to be a Ravenclaw, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, that's so interesting because okay, that's a really good thing to think about because she's strong and individual when it comes to her convictions, right? Like she, when Lucy Steele's trying to manipulate her, when someone's trying to tell her something that's off the chain, she's like, I'm not engaging. I'm not indulging with this. So she has this, but it's this sense of morality. And I'm like, is that really, is that really you being an individual or is that you adhering to these rigid moral convictions that are, that were taught to you? And I think that's such a good point that she, Instead of just being herself, she's managing everyone else. Yeah. And I know that Ravenclaw is, they're really known for being their own person. And, ooh, I think you convinced me. I think you're right. I think the secondary is a Gryffindor. Yep. And if, because if you think about like Elizabeth and Marianne, they very much have their own personalities that really stand out. And I think that's their Ravenclaw traits that that you could pick them out of a lineup. There isn't other people that you can kind of say they're just like them. Whereas I feel like Eleanor can be, is very similar to other people and other characters. Like I feel like she has a lot of similarities to Anne and I think there's less individuality there. You've convinced me. And I think Eleanor is one of the characters who has the most anguish in the novels. And it would make sense if you are a combination of Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, there are certain things like the moral compass and in the justice that are similar, but then there are other things that are in complete conflict. So that must be so difficult to have so much like emotional regulation, but then to have such strong feelings to want to take action too, and have that in combination with indecisiveness. Okay, you've totally convinced me. I'm on board with you. <laughs> I, do you know what? I really love something that you said. You're like, I think she's a repressed Gryffindor. I think that's actually like a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Ah, I love talking this through. You're right. It's so amazing when someone can change your mind in the middle of the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, the, I mean, this episode has been like such a game changer so far. Um, is there anything that you want to add about sense sensibility, Kaylee, before we wrap things up? I was just thinking that, um, I find it interesting that we put Lizzie and Marianne both in Gryffindor and I see Lizzie as a more mature, evolved Gryffindor who had more opportunity, um, versus Marianne, I think is an immature 
Gryffindor, who, who does a lot of evolving over the course of the novel, but I find her to be in more of a precarious position. And it's just interesting to me that while there are some similarities, Lizzie and Marianne are fundamentally so different in some ways, yet they are in the same primary house. So that was just one thing I thought of. That's such a great observation, you know. It's it's very much like how different like Hermione, Ron and Harry are when you like look at some of their characteristics. Everybody has like a strong Gryffindor trait. But then this, I mean, I guess this is exactly why we've ended up with a primary and secondary house, I think, because no one person is like, one dimensional in the sense that they'll they'll fit perfectly into one house. Um, there's always going to be elements of your personality that kind of sway into another one. And I think that's so true. Like it's you're always going to have different personalities, even though they probably share a core characteristic that then puts them into the Hogwarts house. Yes. I feel like, yeah, just like you said, the secondary house picks up on the nuances of each character. And I think there are varying levels, right? Like, I think we decided that for Lizzie, it was a close call. She's almost half and half Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. Like her secondary house is very close to being on the same level as her primary house. Whereas other characters, they're mostly their primary house. And then like a little sliver of the secondary house. Yeah, no, absolutely. We said that uh, Jane Bennett, we basically summed her up in five seconds. We said, she's just Hufflepuff, pretty much. There isn't much of a secondary house there. Right, and do you not think that's maybe because we don't actually, it's it's not Jane's story that we're following. Obviously, we do see a lot of her story, but we see it more through Lizzie's eyes. And I think in that sense, we don't have enough to go off to place her secondary house. Exactly. She she does have one, but because she's not the protagonist and she's not the main focus, I think we don't get that extra level of her character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that is great. And thanks so much, Kaylee, for joining. It's been honestly so much fun. And I can't wait to go into part two, which again, guys, is going to come out next month. So we'll be continuing on. We'll be sorting the other heroines into their houses. Um, like I said at the start, it's going to be Northanger Abbey, Mansfield Park, Persuasion, and Emma. So there's a lot um, of really great content still to come. So that'll be coming out the third Saturday of May. So yeah, make sure that you tune in for that. Um, but yeah, um, Kaylee, where can everybody find you? My Instagram handle is half underscore agony underscore half underscore hope. Uh, obviously, after the epic persuasion love letter um and yeah you can find me there yeah absolutely like we'd love to hear from you guys like what you think of the episode if you think that if you agree with you know some of the houses and um yeah if you're excited about part two so we will see you in may and we'll see you in the next episode bye guys bye